The picture in your mind, I hope, is a family of four surrounding the table about ready to eat the evening meal. The family that you're picturing would be the Levering family, because that's the story I know. The four of us are gathered around, and as we often do before we say the evening meal, we'll gather hands, and sometimes I will pray, sometimes Christy will pray, or sometimes we'll open it up. As we join hands, right before we began to this custom, this tradition in our household, uh, Tyler and Grace were having a, a ball. They were having a great time. And they were goofing around and, and bantering back and forth and just being sibling-like to each other at the dinner table, which is fine, no problem with that. But I have a certain level of etiquette, of decorum that I expect as we pray. It's very important to me as we go before the creator of heaven and earth We do so with that understanding, with a a reverent, holy fear in our minds. So uh, we started to to, to hold hands, and and Tyler and Grace were still laughing back and forth, and uh, I don't know which one was goading the other, but uh, they just couldn't stop. And and as we reached to grab hands, Grace, while giggling, said, Dad, can, can I say the prayer? And I looked at her, fatherly look, stern, serious. Grace, can you be serious as you do it? And she just looked at me with a twinkle in her eye and said, I'll try, but I'm pretty funny. (laughs) I tell that story to make this point. It's hard to be good sometimes. Uh, You and I think we, if I were to ask a, a general poll of the audience, how many of you would say you're good people, most of you would answer in the affirmative. Because our standard of good is all relative. It's all very subjective. Our standard of good is the level that we can attain. This morning, uh, we are going to talk about um, being good. C.S. Lewis said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Uh, How can we be good? When it is so very difficult, when there may be, as some might say, something within our nature that makes it difficult, maybe impossible. We're in a series from Second Peter this morning. If you're interested in following along and want to grow in your knowledge of the word, I will encourage you to turn to Second Peter chapter one. That's page one thousand two hundred and four in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, scroll there, turn there, however you get there. Second Second Peter chapter one. We are reading a list. I'll start in verse 5 and uh, read going forward. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being, note this, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have these, he is nearsighted, blind, 
and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. We said that as Peter writes this letter, it's a very different Peter writing Second Peter than it was to Simon Peter that we met all the way back in the book of Matthew. Those two Peters are the same man in principle, but very different men in practice. Because Peter now is older and wiser, and he's learned a great deal. But of all of those things, what's made the most impact in his life is that he walked with Jesus. And that he has submitted his life to Jesus. And that he's allowed all of his strengths and even all of his weaknesses to be harnessed under the power and the might of Jesus Christ. So as he as he sits likely in prison or uh, in, from a, a house arrest and he's writing this letter in all likelihood from historical research waiting a death sentence as he writes to us for what will be the last time we hear from Peter. He reflects on his life and as he reflects on his life, I think no doubt He wants us, not us just here at Northside, not just us here church today, but but the church throughout all ages to consider our lives, our way of walking. And so he makes a list of the ways in which a person grows up in Jesus. Last week we said that the, the, the basis of that entire list is this foundation of faith. Today we're going to build on that foundation by adding Goodness to Peter's list. A goodness, by one definition, is a quality of moral excellence. But, but how do we achieve moral excellence if we've already said that it's exceptionally hard to even be good, let alone morally excellent? How do we achieve that? How do we approach that? How did Peter approach that himself? Uh, First, we have to understand at the very basis of goodness is this understanding that God is good. The word good from from the biblical definition, not Merriam-Webster, but from the biblical definition simply means anything of God, from God's nature, produced from God himself. The the, the words good and God obviously being similar and so we understand that when we're speaking of good, I'm not, I'm not speaking of your standard of good. I'm not speaking of, of your neighbor's standard of good or even my standard of good. I'm speaking of good in the absolute sense. As Jim Baird would say uh, when he taught his class of several weeks ago on Wednesday night, not just good, but all of the good, the essence of good, the purest, truest essence of good that's absolutely pure in every direction. It is of God. Psalm chapter 34, verse 8. If you're following along, turn to the middle of the Bible. As the psalmist says, very simply, Psalm chapter 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. His goodness is something that can be trusted because it's within his nature it's not something that he aspires to be see you know you and i when we think of goodness we're thinking of it at a level that's up beyond where we are and so we're always 
climbing toward what we see as good. But God's, God's always good. It's impossible for him to be any less because it's within his nature. Remember the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, this, this man who had everything in this world but was not prepared for the world to come. And he came to Jesus and he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In fact, he, he says the word there means good, precious. He was, he was elevating Jesus as a teacher. He's, in our translations, it's good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked a question, which I think was designed to make him think. Certainly it makes us think. He says in Mark chapter 10, and of course there's Matthew's account of it as well, but Mark chapter 10 specifically, he says this, why do you, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I, that's a whole different sermon. I, I don't want to get too far down in the weeds on that. But, but Jesus points out here that God's nature is good. He is, the, in fact, the only one who can rightly be described as good. When, when I poll a question, and I would say, would ask you, do you think you're good? Or would you say by nature that people are basically good? Most people, because they tend to think optimistically, believe that, yes, we're basically good. That's the, 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 the general understanding. But Jesus says, no, no, no. People are not good. In fact, there's no one who's good except God alone. And so when we understand first that God's nature is good, then we understand that everything from him is good. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in James chapter 1, verse 17. He says, uh, he's talking about trials and temptations. And wrapped in that beautiful uh, treatise there on this subject, he says this. Chapter 1, verse 16 and following. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Every good, every perfect gift given us is good. And it reminds us of the nature of God. Think about it for just a second. The gift of sight is, is, a, is a powerful and impressive gift. There is no camera that we have yet in technology that is capable of even producing the resolution that your human eye is able to produce. That with the clarity, with the detail, with the ability to focus, it is one of the, the most astounding marvels. In fact, Darwin himself said the eye... The eye blows my theory out of the water. Because something like that just couldn't happen accidental. It's too complex. And yet sight is something we take for granted. God did not have to create a world of color and beauty. But he did. Uh, Here is a picture of a a, a beautiful sunset. Now, that picture is not the greatest quality at all. In fact, I've stopped trying to take pictures of sunsets and sunrises anymore because I figured out they never do it justice. God does that twice a day, every day, and has since the beginning of time. 
He's created beautiful sunsets that make all of us, believers or not, stop and just marvel at the created world. Now, we in Christ, of course, see the created things and say that that brings glory to a creator. But everyone stops and marvels at the things which God is doing. This was was taken actually from the window of our bedroom, and we just saw that, and we were doing some chores, and, and I just, I couldn't even, it was just so beautiful. And knowing I was speaking on God's goodness, I snapped a picture real quick, zoomed in as tight as I could, tried to get it as clear as I could. The kids said it looked like God was giving us a hug. What about the gift of sound? You take for granted the gift of your hearing, that God's given us a world in which sound exists. Uh, I want to share with you a special video. Let's look at that. (laughs) It's like so close. There you go. Had hearing in her life. She's about to have a cochlear implant turned on. Right over it. There you go. It's beeping. So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. (laughs) What does it sound like? Can you hear me? Can you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. What's good? (laughs) My laughter sounds loud. You'll get used to all of that over time. Very end, the audiologist said, you'll get used to all of that over time. Why it's so impactful is because she's never been used to it. You and I are used to the sound of beautiful music and waterfalls and babies laughing, and we just take that for granted. But God didn't have to create a world where babies laugh or where waterfalls or where great composers like Beethoven and Mozart create music that moves the soul. But he did. Because it's good. Because it's impossible to be any less. What about the sense of taste? You may never fully appreciate the sense of taste until you get a cold. You can't taste anything. Everything tastes like tofu. And I apologize to those of you tofu fans out there, but didn't think that was too big of an audience to offend. But there in most human tongues is over 10,000 taste buds. 9,998 of them lit up when you bite into a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Have you, ever, have you ever consumed something so good that it's almost a an experience? And you take a bite, maybe it's after a period of, of being particularly hungry or coming in famished, and you just take one bite and you're like, mmm, mmm. Or, or maybe your mother, your grandmother has a special recipe and you just love it and you just take one bite and your whole, your whole body takes on the experience. God didn't have to make taste, but he did. 
because he's good. What about the, the ability to touch, to hold hands? I was at the skating rink last night observing with amusement as young couples tested their hand-holding ability. Remembering what it was like to grab the hand of the person that you really, really liked on that couple's skate as your hands sweated together. God didn't have the, to give us the ability to touch, to hold hands, to hug, to embrace But he did, because he's good. We understand what James meant when he said every good and perfect gift is from above. And by the way, there are people right now, this is how good God is. Jesus said that he makes the rain, the sun rise on the evil and the good, the the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. You see, there are people this morning sleeping who do not care about God or worshiping God or knowing God, who have no idea about God, who this morning will wake up and hear their children laugh and this evening see a beautiful sunset and perhaps enjoy a good meal. And they don't even realize that God's goodness overflows even to them. Even atheists, even agnostics, try as hard as they might, cannot escape the infinite, powerful, overflowing goodness of God. Not just in their world, but in all of our world. And so because, now coming back to us now, because he is good, we must respond. That's the natural thing. When we understand the goodness and the glory and the power of God and how much his goodness overflows in our life, then we respond by doing good to others, by letting that goodness overflow. Now, let me first say it is easy to do good to those who do good to you. Loving those who love you is no hard thing. We do that quite easily. But God's goodness is not reciprocal. In other words, it's not dependent upon someone being good to God before he'll then be good to them. He, his goodness overflows to us, and our goodness is nothing more than a response. It's our choice as whether or not to respond. The verse that was read for us, that John read from John from Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Or one translation says, who belong to the family of believers. It's easy to be a vessel in which God pours his goodness into you. The question there, though, is whether you will be a vessel that then not just receives the goodness of God, but allows it to overflow out of your life. That can be done, as Paul said to the church of Galatia, to all people, and especially to those of the household of faith. Last month, our grace challenge was this orange bracelet with a simple question on it. May I pray for you? A woman who attends this congregation did not wear the bracelet Because her job is such that she's not allowed to have bracelets or jewelry or anything on her hands while she works. So she didn't wear it. 
She was at the hospital going to see someone else, didn't have the bracelet. But as she went into St. Francis, she saw a woman on, a, on one of the benches there outside who was just uh, mourning and weeping and crying. The woman did not know this lady's situation, not know if, if someone, if she had suffered a loss, a death, a, a tragedy, didn't know the situation. She just came up, put her hand on her shoulder and said, I'm so sorry for whatever you're going through. I have no idea what it must be like. But if you'd be agreeable to it, I'd like to just sit with you and pray for you. And she was. And she was moved by that. And, and the, the, the two women who didn't know each other prayed together. Now, that's an example of goodness. This woman didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. In fact, the lady who did the praying didn't know exactly what the situation was, but she was overflowing with goodness. Two months ago in July, this congregation was challenged to buy school supplies and gift cards for a group of people that I'm guessing 99.5% of us have not met, do not know. Someone said, is there any oversight of this? How do we know that the, 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 the teachers won't just take an Amazon gift card and, and buy something for themselves? I said, there is no way to track that. No reasonable way. <laughs> okay. You can't put all the elders, you know, monitoring the teachers. What are you doing on Amazon? How do people respond to God's goodness? Do sometimes they ignore it? Do sometimes they abuse it? Sometimes they take advantage, of course. It's the opportunity of doing good, not always respecting good in return. Last year, the Levering family went to Disney World, and we said no to a lot of things so that we could go to Disney World. And there was a dear, sweet Christian sister who sent both of my children a a nice little Disney-themed card with a financial gift inside, and just a note that said, please enjoy your trip. I hope you have a good time. That's an example of being good, of letting goodness overflow. I give those examples to say there's a way to live. There's a way to let goodness overflow from our lives, not because of how good we are, but no, 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 don't misunderstand. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good we, he is, and we are responding to the goodness that he's poured into us. The goodness which we show other people should be just a, a part, a partial, uh, just, a, just a pittance of what God has done that's been good in our lives. Goodness, in fact, is its truest essence when it is not expected, when it's more than expected, when it's more than deserved. Um, I don't go there very often, but I, I, I went to, Ch- to Chick-fil-A and, and I, I went in and I knew what I wanted and I had the money to get it. And I gave the young man my order and I pulled out my money. I scanned the app there, you know, and did all that, got out my money He just put up his hand. He said, listen, you are in here a lot. I'm just going to comp this one today. 
I, I, I learned later that all Chick-fil-A employees are given the discretion to do good above and beyond what they're called to do. Can I just give all of you here this morning the, the, the discretion to be exceptionally good this week? To, to do something to others that they don't expect, that they certainly don't deserve, that it's far more than they expect or deserve. Why? Because that's what God's done to us. So I'll give you eight ideas as we begin to wrap up. Number one, you could give someone a genuine compliment. Mark Twain said, uh, I can go for two months on a good compliment. You ever notice something good that someone does? Could be here at church, could be otherwise. Do you ever pause and just verbalize that? You have the opportunity to do that. Maybe it could be surprising your spouse with unexpected flowers. That I know of, there's no holiday coming up this week. You might have an anniversary or birthday or something, but there's no holiday this week. No expectation of it. Bring some pretty flowers or some chocolates or make a a dinner that is favored. Do a chore or a job or a thing that you wouldn't normally do. If you're the one who normally uh, uh, mows the grass uh, or and doesn't, you know, do the laundry. Maybe do the laundry this week and mow the grass. Not because you're good, but because he's good. When you go to the restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes and the service is about like this, eh, to be generous in your tip. Not because they were good. Not even because you're good, but because he's good. Maybe you could just do something to the cashier in the, in the line as you go through and just smile and say, it's good to see you today. I hope you're having a good day. It's the opportunity to be good, not because they're good, but because he's good. Maybe you could call your parents or take them to lunch. Maybe it's been too long since you've done that. Maybe you should do that because someday your parents won't be here any longer. Not because you're good, but because he's good. Perhaps you could stop this morning, instead of rushing out to go get lunch plans, maybe you could stop and just look around and pay attention and let God move you to pray with someone. Or maybe in a conversation over the fence with your neighbor, instead of sinking down into gossip, the scuttlebutt, Maybe you could could take the things that they're talking about and say, could I pray with you about that? Not because you're good, but because he's good. Maybe you could go to the drive-thru and buy the meals of the several cars behind you to bless their day, to do good. Not because you're good, but because he's good. Maybe you could, as you're mowing your yard, just mow your neighbor's yard with no expectation of payment or any reciprocal gift, not because you're good, but because he's good. If you're paying attention, I gave you nine things instead of eight things, not because I'm good, but because he's good. See, the opportunities abound. I could have made a list of 90 things. The question is not the amount of opportunities. The question is, will you have the courage to take even one opportunity? To make even one intentional, purposeful act of good. As Christians, we do good as a response. We do not do good to be saved. We do good because we're saved. In response to redemption 
in response to what God's done to us. If you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 10, um, Luke writes this very interesting account as he's uh, recording Peter's sermon. And he says this, verse 38, about Jesus. Uh, I'll, I'll start in verse 37. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God, this is verse 38 of Acts 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. There's a lesson there. The first lesson is please, please, and I I don't mean this euphemistically, for the love of God, Don't say you follow Jesus and go around acting like a jerk. That is poor stewardship of your witness. Instead, do as your Savior did and overflow with good because God's with you. Overflow with good because of what he's poured into your life. I'll take this opportunity then to remind you about our September Grace Challenge, which is our digital detox from social media. Disconnecting from social media to reconnect with God, with God's word, with God's people. And some of you have talked to me, some of you have sent emails. If you're taking this challenge, I'd love to hear how it's going. And I'd love to hear how God is using it. And if you haven't, I'll just say you have two weeks. You don't have to do it for a whole month now. You can just do it for two weeks. And see how it goes. Remove, disconnect from distractions so that you can reconnect with God and with others. And you might just find the opportunity to do good. So my one final question is, what we kind of what we started with when we talked about, one final question for you is this, are you good? And check which one you think you are. But of course, Jesus said, no one is good but God alone. So I guess I guess the answer to that is we have to check the no box. If no one's good but God alone, then we have to check the no box. But God is the true standard of what's good. He is the only standard of what's good. Paul said this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. He said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Because God is good, he didn't just leave you where you in your hopeless condition. God had a plan. He sent goodness to us through Jesus. And only through Jesus, only through Jesus Christ, his son, can we be declared good at all. The only way to be good then is by God's standard, which is through Jesus, his son. Jesus did the ultimate good on the cross so that we could know a God who's good, even though we are not. This morning, if you do not know God through Jesus Christ, his son, I want to encourage you to do what Jesus told us we had to do, to believe and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And if you've done that, but you haven't been doing good, maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need a change of heart. Maybe you just like us to pray with you and for you. Uh, we'd be glad to do that. Whatever challenge you might have, whatever need you might have, if you have one, come forward. We'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.